bandwidth for the Weird Things podcast provided by Wired Tree. For sites of any size and world-class customer service, head on over to wiredtree.com. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Weird Things. Yeah. That was you that was we had to, we had to have like a moment for everybody to just, you know, shout and oh. cheer across America and that's, around the world. That's what I imagine they're doing. Uh, that voice you just heard was Mr. Brian Bry Bry Brushwood. Brian Bry Bry Junior Shabadoo. That's my full name. <laughs> the other voice there is Mr. Chester Robert Young. Hello, friends. And loved ones were reunited. We had we had a we had a, a me and Andrew episode last time, but finally we were able to make it work. Yeah, yeah, it's me and what's his face. <laughs> um, now that we're all here, yeah. Uh, if you're gonna play the uh, the the weird things drinking game, now's the time to start and maybe call your local poison control center because. Uh, <laughs> We, we've hit the uh, you know hit the trifecta of weird things things that are fascinating to us. Let's get started right now with uh, the latest from SpaceX. Oh, we're playing the hits, folks! If you came uh, if you came to listen to this podcast and you're like, man, I really like when they go off on some random stuff about holes in Russia and people, you know, maybe doing something a little weird. But I would like for them to play what brought them to the dance. SpaceX, let's go. I got that too. I got that too. I just want to catch up on uh, that. Um, Brian, did you see the video, the latest video they released of the last launch? Is this the wait? Oh, so so this is not the soft landing in the water that we that's saw release. Oh, that that's the one, dude. It's uh, yeah. So they very they tried, very exciting. They tried really. They had they put out a video before that was supposed to show sort of the soft landing of the water, but to call it degraded. Um, was an understatement. <laughs> there was like there was like six frames, and then they'd have an explanation of like, "Yeah, you're not going to see any better than this. Yeah, <laughs> this is as good as it gets." Take our word. We've we've got printouts that say that it did what it did. Well, finally, they have a little bit better video now. The, imagine here, and and you have if you know what you're looking at, then you get it. You go, "Oh, cool." If you don't know, you're like, "What's this?" Here's the problem. You know, you think like, how hard is it to get good video? How hard is it to get good video? Well, you got to put a camera, yeah, on the outside of a rocket engine. Sounds simple. Yeah, that's that's already like you know got vapors and steam and heat, and then it's got to go up into space. As it's mm. going to space, there's flames and all sorts of other stuff, and then yeah, you go from. Also, keep in mind, I, I you know I'm not an expert here, but it seems like aerodynamics matter on a rocket i don't know like it's not you can't just stick a, 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 a gopro with some hot glue on the outside that's probably how they started yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh and so yeah you've got to have so you have your little glass window or whatever then you have this thing stuck there and then so you go from no at, from atmosphere to no atmosphere then you've got to go through re-entry and you look at the bottom of a rocket what that looks like to shield it so it's a complicated problem to stick a, to stick a camera on the outside of a rocket. Apparently, yeah. this time they got better footage. You can see part of the reentry burn. You can actually see water. You can see what they did. That first stage, seventy five percent of the rocket, the seventy five percent of the cost of the rocket, SpaceX sent up. 
They sent a rocket that went off to go do its mission, and that first stage went and landed back into the ocean softly, gently. Unfortunately, water's not a very good surface to land things on, and things tend to sink. So, <laughs> but keep in mind, this wasn't their goal. Their their goal was, you know, normally it's you just let it fall into the drink, and then like who cares? But they're like, well, why don't we practice uh, yes. landing it? And of course, if you've listened to the podcast before, this is a very big deal because if you have a three stage rocket where each stage lands itself back on the pay uh, on the pad, you have a reusable, a truly reusable spaceship. You have a Buck Rogers style seven forty seven into space. So let's talk about where SpaceX thinks they are right now. The next two missions they're doing are to uh, geosynchronous orbit, which means it's much, much farther out and takes a lot more fuel. So there won't be enough fuel left in the tank to let it do this reentry. After that, they've got a mission coming up where they'll have a little bit of fuel left in the tank to do a reentry. And their goal, ready for this, ready for this. I tell you, it's like I'm thinking to myself, well, there's only three things we like to talk about on this show, SpaceX, Marvel movies, and Mars. So I got to assume it's Mars. Oh, no, I'm talking this this a more short term right after this next mission. Oh, oh, wait, where then? After the next two missions, they want to land on a solid surface. They're planning September or October to try to land the first stage on solid ground. Wait a minute. Hold on. Because it sounded like you said September or October, like the months that come after the month we just started or another one that comes after like three months after this one. Like that yeah. September or October? We, we could be looking at before the end of this year, which is already closer to being over than starting, SpaceX trying to land the first stage on solid ground. Uh, so that's huge. That's absolutely insane. And that's, I mean, just again, the, the headline here, and you can see the better video, but the headline was that they successfully were able to do this in a way that, and Andrew, you pay closer attention. I just kind of read headlines and assume I know everything. Uh, if this, the rocket that they landed in the water, they feel like that whole process going the way it went could have landed it on land, right? They just, this was the first time they were doing it publicly yes. and wanted to show or it. at least at least uh, promising enough that they're willing to try it like they don't feel like it's just going to spin out of control. I mean, because keep in mind, part of bringing the rocket back to land means that there's going to be cows and people and buildings and things. And so you have to be fairly confident you're going to get it into the right area. So their goal is their, their quote was a vehicle tipped sideways as planned to its final water safing state in a nearly horizontal position. The water pet caused a loss of hole integrity, but received all the necessary data to achieve a successful landing on a future flight. So their uh, plan is they're highly confident. Well, this is a SpaceX quote. At this point, we are highly confident being able to land successfully on a floating launch pad or back at the launch site and re Fly the rocket, rocket with no required. <laughs> Let me try this again. At this point, we are highly confident being able to land successfully on a floating launch pad or back at the launch site and refly the rocket with no required refurbishment. So wait a minute. So so they're not going to. Uh, they are landing it on land, land or on a floating platform. Pick, 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 Brian. <laughs> well, I'm just, I'm just curious, but 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 now here's the other thing, and and I assume the next stage is once they get the first stage to land successfully, and it doesn't matter whether it's on a platform or a hard land. Once they have it, I assume there has to be an extraordinary 
number of tests they have to do to find out like how many micro fractures there are, like what parts can instantly be reused again and whether or not they just can refill and go. So yes, and that's all part of it. So right now the next, they're looking at like the next two flights, which again to geostationary orbit aren't enough fuel, but uh, they're looking at flights 14 and 15 will attempt to land on a solid surface with an improved probability of success. Flight 14 is an Orbcom satellite, October. Flight 15th is the launch of a Turkmen satellite, November. So, so again, these are gigs for, for SpaceX, right? Like they are, yeah, they are doing are, work, they are getting paid for, and then it is mm-hmm. on the back end that they are trying this stuff out once their work in space is, is yeah. done. Yeah, all the rockets they've been launching, launching now are called Falcon 9 Rs, and the Rs stand for reusable. And they had what they had – we talked about this before. It's one of the things that Elon Musk has done. He did this with the Tesla where he had some secret features in there that he revealed later on. And they revealed, oh, yeah, all of our rockets we've been launching up until, like, before they tried the reentry landing. Like, yeah, they've had reusability built in. Now we're going to try to turn that switch on and see if this works. So, uh, I mean, uh, obviously a gigantic uh, a step forward. And uh, But as ever with, with Elon Musk, did you see uh, Elon's uh, public fretting today on, on Twitter? No. An ever uh, an eye on the horizon uh, for for Elon Musk. He's already pioneering what will be uh, you know spaceflight, revolutionizing revolutionizing it, revolutionizing the auto industry. But yet uh, today on Elon on his Twitter account, I guess we're we're going to do picks uh, early, or at least Elon Musk's p- uh, picks early recommends uh, our final invention, uh, a book about AI. And then says, hope we're not just the biological bootloader for digital superintelligence. Unfortunately, that's increasingly probable. Wait a minute. He really said this? This is on Twitter, yeah. Uh, turns out he also liked Guardians of the Galaxy. Guardians of the Galaxy is great. <laughs> Best line is when Star-Lord says his spaceship looks like a Jackson Pollock painting under blacklight. <laughs> hope we're not i don't think he's talking specifically about spacex he's not talking about like his company's mission statement no I think no he's no wondering about humanity's future he said uh yeah. worth reading also super intelligence by bostrom we need to be super careful with ai potentially more dangerous than nukes that's what right, that uh, started. Uh, you know this is this is something man um uh, is it okay we can, if we can go on a quick side jag but listening to the Harmontown podcast, uh, they were talking about this idea, and Dan Harmon was saying that he's convinced that uh, that artificial intelligence will take over, uh, but we will be very well-kept, well-cared-for pets for the AIs, like what we're going to be their dogs, basically, which when I heard it, I'm like, that's ridiculous. But the more I think about it, the more it sounds exactly right, because what are we going to write all of our AIs to do to provide for us? to take care for us, to please us, to make sure we live long, healthy, happy lives. And then uh, we're going to outsource the rest. So the grown-up AIs will handle the mining and the expansion and the colony building and the intergalactic war in the quadrants. Did you call your mom today? What's that? You call your mom today? Did I? Yeah. Why? Did you remember? To look after your mom today? Did you check in and see how she's doing? Uh, I mean, not, I mean, that's a I, it was a busy day. It was a busy uh, day. It was a day, and your own priorities, your own things. No, but, but see, here's the difference: is that we will write our children 
with core values and their core values will be like, just like it's hardwired in us to take care of our kids and, and we're hardwired to want to take care of our dogs and birds and whatever. Like that's the way our robot children will feel about us. They, it, it, they, there's no way we're going to build them where they'll have malice for us. It's like, they'll just want to take care of us. I'm going to play devil's advocate here. And I will, I will give my own reason why I don't think we should be afraid. But when it comes to that, like, like, I think the problem gets into is when, you know, the, the one that's like a version of us that looks kind of like us and similar, that's fine. But next, the week later, the one that's as far away from us is as we are from a paramecium. You know, like the super. Uh, yeah. super All right. I, I, I see where you're coming. But, but, uh, hmm. I don't know. It's, uh, it's like Africa. <laughs> yeah. They call it bush meat. Okay. All right, that's a uh, that's a fair point, but I think that uh, I think for the next few hundred years, uh, to be honest, I actually agree with Elon Musk's fears. I think there's no way. The more I think about it, there's no way our stupid human bodies leave this planet. I think, uh, or not this solar system. I think that that machines are our children, and and that's who actually gets to leave because they can last long enough. Hybrids or something. I, yeah, I think that you know when uh, if you're a machine. You're going to have a different goal than we are. And the story of the story of life on this planet is actually a story of cooperation more than competition. You know, you look at you look at your own body and you have a stomach filled with bacteria that you're in a symbiotic relationship with your ear holes and everything else. Your body is teeming with it. So if we look at all of the biota around us, you're going to find that we're actually much more competition. You have competitions for and you're in the exact same ecosystem and you're competing for, let's say, photosynthesis. But outside of that. It's a lot more cooperative. It's division of labor, things that we understand from economics, and we understand that. And I think that's what we'll, that's where we'll get into is that, you know, we're we're dumb machines, but we're creative machines, and we'll be able to solve certain problems and stuff. But I don't know if I'm going to look upon them to be, you know, like they're going to be our, our kindly children because they will accelerate at such a rate that. Well, I like uh, explain to me why they. Uh, I mean, I I know that we could picture a future where we are so far left in behind that that we really are irrelevant. But but right now, ev- every line of code put into Siri is being written so that Siri can better serve us. I, I mean, that's that's all she's gonna want to do is solve our problem. Like like it's not in the code to suddenly flip a switch and be like, fuck these guys. You know, I, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have cursed, but, but like, like, it's just not, it's not, it's yeah, but that's, but the, the future of code is the idea that the code then writes itself. It then writes its objectives. You know, you look at, you look at neuroprocessing we can't tell it how to pick out the word in the crowd and it figures out how to do it. You give it an objective and, and it do this. And I think this is going to be developed uh, heavily, heavily. They're going to go into this, the idea of creating an intelligent AI to serve humanity and the new documentary coming out called Avengers two age of Ultron. <laughs> we'll see we'll see how it plays out there well, I think, that man, I, probably the most interesting conversation i've ever had about ai with andrew is uh andrew you you've had the the theory that you know if if we want to worry about what artificial intelligence will react with us in in the future that you should look at ricardo's law or, or the idea that yeah. you know there is always going to be that you know AI will always expand as we cooperate with them and as they cooperate with us. Yeah, Ricardo was a basically an economist who came up with this understanding of why, if you're a more advanced, uh, like Ricardo's rule, Ricardo's rule, uh, this the idea that if you're England, 
why do you want to trade with you know Portugal? Well, if you're England and you're producing wool and you can produce your wine cheaper than Portugal can sell it to you, why do you still want to buy Portuguese wine? And the answer comes down to it's called it's a law of comparative advantage, and basically the idea is that if you're focusing on wool, which is a more produ productive environment or industry, then you're going to make more than if you're spending part of your industry making wine where you can just buy it elsewhere. And that's why, you know, trade, things like this really work and function well. That division of labor, it always it goes down to, we've talked about this before, like, you know, we have this idea of the noble savage, but if you're, if you have to make your shoes, make your spears, hunt your fish and do everything like that, you don't have a lot of free time. But once you go to somebody and say, you're good at making shoes, you make shoes, you do this. And that comes into, so what is, what is our role going to be in a, you know, a computer economy, a robot economy? Well, you know, it might be that there are a few really brilliant people that are very creative and can work well with them. And the rest of us, our job is to make movies and to entertain those people. I mean, I mean, that could, that could be, and we, we sort of talked about this, I think previously where, you know, we're, we're entering a world uh, you know, and part of this is because I reread the book Abundance, which was uh, written by one of the co-creators of the Ansari X Prize. Uh, we really are entering a world where scarcity of just about anything will be a thing of the past. And in this world, um, you know, my my you know crackpot uh, libertarian leanings notwithstanding, I think there will be a f basement where you don't have to work if you don't want to, but you only get the basic you know, 25 different items of food. You only get the garden variety uh, healthcare. You only get, you know, uh, this regular default house or whatever. But if you want something more, then you have to put something into society that, that other people want. So in other words, re real life becomes like second life. In second life, if you want another house, you press a button and there's as many houses as you want out there. But if you want to be successful and popular and get Linden dollars in that world, what you do is you put forth creative energy to create something that previously did not exist. And then you get premium made up items. I feel like that's what's going to happen in real life. I think that the problem is, is that some things will always be scarce. And I think that you get into a situation like our housing crisis was based upon the idea that let's entitle everybody to be able to own a house and how do we structure our economy to do that? And we did that. <laughs> and, and that became problematic because we had, you know, the one resource which was harder to produce is land, et cetera, like that. And we, 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 we look for these solutions and, and I do think that, yeah, I mean, you, have, you don't have to look for, you look at the average, what, what it means to be poor today versus what it meant to be poor 60 years ago. And, you know, our generation has never seen poverty like right. poverty existed. Our right. generation does not understand. And again, there are people right now in very tragic situations who are homeless, who are in shelters, and I'm not under, not at all. But the, as a percentage or the people like that, you know, when you go to a class or you go to a school or you think about what percentage of these kids are like in a house with no electricity, no telephone, no cable, no anything like that, that's extremely rare. It happens, but like it's, and, and there are pockets of these things where that is true. But for the overall, Poor people today, you know, are more likely to have a transportation they did before, et cetera, et cetera. You look at that, and if you what what qualifies to the poverty level today was middle class 30, 40 years ago. Oh, and, my, and it was it was it was living greater than the greatest pharaoh three thousand years ago, right? When when the way to wield power was to move slaves around, uh, then it was very difficult to have the you know variety of food. If you oh, wanted, what a pain in the neck! Oh, you tried moving more than two slaves around? Such a hassle! There's got but, to be but, you know, a better way. 
<laughs> my point is if you wanted to be able to walk into a room and have seven different options for a meal, the only way that was possible was to have enough money and power that you could have seven different pre-cooked meals made so that you could ignore six of them and choose one. Like, like little, little things like that we don't have anymore. You know, that's why, um, I, I don't know, I feel like, back to AIs, I feel like we will continue to build and shape our robot children who will eventually become our overlords. Uh, but, but, but we will always have fingers in it to guide them to make sure that they do what we want. Like that's the question is what's our role in society? Well, I I think that, I think that we won't be able to control that once they're smarter than us, they're smarter than us. Well, so what? Uh, look, I'm smarter than my parents. I still love them. And t- I'm smarter than my dog. I take care of the dog. I guess I'm the, smarter. Like the only thing that I worry about with these kind of things, and, and to be honest, I, I don't feel in any way comfortable of saying where I think things will going will go because I have no idea, right? All I worry about when I look at what popular thought was in the past, and now we look back as 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 great folly, you know, is that the the wrong predictions tend to be moored so tightly to what was modern era at the origin of the project of the prediction that it completely ignores what in hindsight we look back on and say like well of course i mean like this thing was happening 50 years before they made this project this prediction that was so obviously about this one fixed point in time and so i kind of wonder if the way we look at AIs as like, well, will they be our friends and project us to the stars or will they be our overlords and slave masters is just something that I feel like mm-hmm. in 50 years, in 100 years, in, in 2000 years, we will look at as like, well, wow, that was a really weird binary argument that we decided to have for oh, no reason. Sure. And, you know, the thing that will happen is we will the first really intelligent AIs that are conversational and stuff are going to be sitting in massively huge servers and systems like that. And the idea that these things are going to become out of control or whatever, and we can pull the power plug will seem absolutely ludicrous. But when we start getting into the second and third and fourth generation versions of those that are increasingly more and more intelligent and are able to design their own hardware, et cetera, like that. And, and we, you know, we already live in an economy that's shaped by, in many ways, black box computers making decisions. You have, you know, we don't know what kind of black box, just, you know, software there's being used in certain hedge funds and other places to make decisions, et cetera. But we, I guess my point is, is like, well, the first, the first, you know, you, you will get the false singularity. We'll have robots, we talk to things like that. We're like, oh, this is really cool. This is what it's like. Well, that's, there's, but then there's the future of that future. And that's where it's well, easy well, for me. And, and understand, like, like if you want to know, and I know it's it's always a problem to say, if you want to know what the future is like, look at right now. But you can start to see just in our lifetime. Like, if you if you are young enough that you remember uh, hearing about the internet but not seeing it, and it being a thing that you went and connected to, instead of this appendage that's in your pocket at all times, the answer to the sum you know, to any question you have is now in your pockets. It's not that things change change dramatically. It's that the gap between you and information, between you and decision-making, between you and execution of whatever it is you need to do gets smaller and smaller. And of course the next phase is by the time, you know, before we die, you know, we'll have a heads, you know, there's a good chance we'll have heads up displays in our eyes. Um, uh, By the way, I had a great idea. For a uh, for an interactive 
OS for this stuff. I was thinking about like, what's a way to get, you know, Google glass, you, 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 you touch and you move around or whatever. Um, imagine with, uh, uh, you're wearing glasses and there's some kind of heads up display and you want to subtly communicate it. And I don't, and I, I don't know if this is something I should patent or not, because somebody has to have thought of this before me, but it seems like, uh, having, having stuff on the side of your temples would be able to tell when you click the left side of your jaw, click those teeth together versus the right side of your jaw, click those teeth together, or when you click both down. So if that's the case, you can, you could do a binary sort and, and, and without using your hands or, or voice commands or anything very quietly and subtly, uh, you know, dit, 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 yes, this, dit, 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 no, this, dit, 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 and then and and actually do searches for for common ideas like an OS where you're just kind of uh, 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 like that. Is that a crazy idea? Is that a dumb idea? I don't think I I, a- I, I I don't know that I'm qualified, but I know that there's like you, you know you have you ever seen like the Star Wars Jedi Force controller toy? No, what is it? It's just you can you can put they have like now they have toys things that can mis- measure subtle muscle impulses and stuff that you can control stuff with. So there are ways you know to do that. Um, and you know there's also the possibility of you know creating a, a digital appendage so to speak that you just could control like any other limb by just you know wiring it in. Uh, I, I we had tails once, guys. Let's bring them back. <laughs> to be honest, it's like at, at the point that we start thinking of better ways to sort heads up display information, we need to first have really good heads up display information that we want to be able to sort very quickly. Because having used Google Glass for a couple months, uh, it became very clear to me that we are in the the prehistoric ages of understanding what we want right in our eyeball at any given time, you know, like we're really not close and, and Google glass and, and that AI or sorry, that, that uh, OS was a good first step, you know, but it, it was to me nowhere near where I think uh, if it is going to become a thing, it, it needs to be because it was a lot of superfluous stuff followed by some really, really valuable stuff that I had to kind of go out of my way to, to find and it wasn't natural behavior that I really wanted to do every single day. I I finally played with Google Glass. By the way, got to try one. Uh huh. What was your thought? Uh, hell of a lot easier just to take out my phone. <laughs> you want well, to, and plus, also, you've recently been seduced seduced by the the the, the Oculus Rift bug, and I I don't know how much you talked about it last week. Uh, it, to the tune of like building your own, you know, Google Cardboard and so on. There's yeah, it's gotten even, gotten <laughs> even deeper than that. Uh, That's awesome. I might be able to say something next week, but um, we'll see. Uh, we'll just say that my interest is attracted interest. <laughs> um, so, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated, and, and that's a thing where I look at it as a different kind of medium. And I, and I was, I was when the Google Glass first came out. I was actually, oh, cool, because what I thought it was going to be like a dual display thing that augmented and stuff like that. I'm like excited. And I'm still excited about the potential of like, I've made, if you go to my, my, my Tumblr, you'll see, I've made a, uh, I made a little, I made a, a 3d camera. That's a head mounted 3d camera. So you can watch your hands as you do stuff and record it in 3d. 
And so I've been like for fun, just like doing card tricks and things like that and recording in 3D. And then when you watch it back, it's a really intense experience when you watch it in a virtual viewer because you really feel like you're there. So, so, I so think that- uh, real quick, because uh, uh, we were, uh, I, I think it was you or, or maybe Justin had mentioned this. Um, like, is it a case where you can look left and right or look down like like you're not controlling your hands, but the subjective experience is oh, you know, just just. Just for what I made my viewer, that mine is just a way to record a stereoscopic 3D image. It's not an immersive one where you turn okay. your head around. Okay. But it's because you're, you're supposed to be looking at the hands as the hands are doing the trick. There's no no point to look around. And the idea for certain kinds of instructional stuff, you know, imagine learning a card trick where you literally put on the glasses and you see and you can hold the deck of cards in your own hand, but watch, the, you know, the virtual version. So. Uh, oh, wow. I didn't even think about that part. I was thinking about like just just the idea of a library, like imagine a whole magic performance where the magician, because think about it, when, when you get into sleight of hand, a lot of the moves that you love the most that you learn to, to make work, you love them because they fool yourself. And mm-hmm. uh, imagine if you had a couple cameras and you're able to do this stuff like I mean, that that's an exciting yes. idea. Imagine. <laughs> It's easy if you try, Brian. Someday. (laughs) Someday. Someday. Whatever that would be. That sounds like that'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Um, uh, Can I ask you, can I ask you about this? um, I I, I forwarded over you that, uh, that email. uh, And I don't know how skeptical, skeptical to be about this perpetual motion. Oh, <laughs> Two minds, same brilliant minds, think alike. Yeah, and us too. <laughs> so, Brian, you want to do the intro on that? Uh, well, I mean, really, I only read a little bit, and I immediately forwarded it over to you because I knew you would dive into it and find out. But, but I guess, as blogs tend to do, they overstate the benefit and and the importance of it. But I guess there's an engine they used to laugh at this man for his idea of an engine that ran on magic microwaves that violated uh, the laws of physics. And then they built one. And then China built one. And another guy built one. Are they laughing now? Yes, they're still laughing at him. I mean, (laughs) is essentially the story that I got. We've talked about this before, I think, as sort of like potential theoretical technology. And I think the, the basic idea is a thing called the EM drive or the M drive. And it's this self, it's this enclosed chamber where it uses a creates it generates a microwave that then causes some forward propulsion without any loss of propellant. Okay. In traditional classical physics, you can't move something forward without a reaction or without spitting off stuff, you know, or pushing against something, okay? This says that it can do that, which, of course, people are like, that's not can't work. That's not going to work. It's a closed system. Da, 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 da. Other people paid attention to it and said, maybe there's something there. Maybe there's something to this idea. Uh, a group of Chinese scientists built one in 2009, you know, enough for a little satellite thruster. And the amount isn't important as much as if you can get an effect. OK, but still people said, you know. It's such a subtle thing. There's so many different ways in which you can get bad data. Remember the faster than light, you know, signal thing. That, yeah. You know, that we've been you know, and, and we, everybody was like, this is, this can't be real. And, and I would say that, you know, that it was the, the level at which it was a experimental error probably was sort of silly, but anyhow, so this still floated around out there and you could follow some progress on it. 
And then Harold Sonny White at NASA, who we've talked about before, who's with NASA's Advanced Propulsion Systems, they made a version of their, you know, their own, going on their own concept and measured it. And they said, now this is NASA now, not infallible, Martian bacteria and asteroids and uh, uh, the, uh, uh, arsenic-based life forms. Yes, <laughs> you know, but they're they're I would say they're about as credible as an institution as you can get. Mistakes will be made, and and I, big NASA fan myself, but I'm saying is there there have been instances before, but NASA said that they have tried this and they've actually been able to measure something. Now, here's the thing: some people are crying foul, says nope, this violates class, this violates physics, this can't work. They're saying they're saying no, you know, in in space you have basically a quantum foam where you get spontaneously particles that come appear and then disappear. And this is a bedrock of quantum physics. This is we know this to be true as well as we can observe these things. So we don't dispute that the idea that that's the way you know the space really is. Things are probabilistic. They're saying that what this does is it generates something that pushes off of those particles. Does that so? So, 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 so real quick, um, at the end of the day, all engines are mass drivers, which means you got to fling something away to push you a little bit farther forward. Right. Um, not as, that's the thing too, that their, their, their defensive is like, or somebody says, well, what about a light sail? Well, okay. Well, but, but in that case, that is also a, 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 a mass driver because in that case you have a sail and you have little, you know, particles from the sun flinging like hailstones, hitting it, pushing you forward. And, and uh, it, it all boils down to Newtonian something either being flung away to push you forward or something bumping in you to push you forward. This is what I can't wrap my mind around this engine is what is it that's then, being shot out? And so, but again, a solar cell, it's photons. And so, you know, photons are, they're not tech, they, they, they you know, yeah. photons are like, I mean, they, like mass. I mean, that, that that's a mushy area. In my mind, I'm, I I can wrap my mind around it because I know that photons do act like energy, but they also act like mass sometimes, you know. And so, in my mind, that's mass hitting something and pushing it forward, so I can wrap my mind around it. That's what's difficult about this engine is I don't I don't know. All right, but so as we, long as you apply power to your flashlight, you can keep producing photons. Or as a fuel tank or something else, you can't. And so it comes down to a matter of matter of energy. And they're they're not saying here with this thing that this doesn't use energy. This uses energy. They're saying that the way that it creates propulsion, you know, is unique. So, um, so, so hold on, wait. Let, let me let me just like break it down for all the uh, all, all the idiots for whom I speak for. Uh, it, the big idea with this is that if you're going to travel into you know, deep into space, you can only travel as far as you can bring fuel to take you, right? That you can bring some kind of, you know, mass or something to take you there. What this does is, although it consumes energy, you can do it on something far less, which therefore theoretically, should it work, take us far farther than we ever could think about going, like before we understood how we were going to get X amount of fuel up somewhere that we could go there and back right it's so astonishing yeah like 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 how little because understand you know if this if this pans out it sounds like it's going to be a giant leap forward over ion drives which which ion drives already are ridiculously subtle we're talking about an engine that at full force gives you the power of a piece of paper pushing down on your hand by gravity like that's how much 
thrust we're looking at to move it forward. So if if this if this is an increased level of efficiency, I mean that's that's great. Well, so it's we'll see we'll see what happens. Is that you know we're in an area where there are people you know other people say it doesn't. I'm not qualified to weigh in on this other than try to understand it in my own sense, but it's very curious. So. You know, if it does happen, that yeah, it certainly changes the way that you would think about building spacecraft. You know, if you want to go to Mars, you basically just create yourself a nuclear engine to provide your power, and you don't worry about propellant. And you start off slow, and as Brian points out, you build up speed after a period of time. Well, just put one on Man. the next trip that SpaceX takes. I mean, like they're doing all sorts of crazy stuff. Why not just uh, let's just try it out? Whatever. I guarantee you that there are engineers in SpaceX in a secret section there that are working on very looking at these sort of things. Maybe not as a full time, but you got to wonder. You know, they he, Elon Musk and his friends probably have a really cool thirty percent time thing like Google, which is stuff like this. Well, geez, I mean, maybe he could wrap his head around it if we weren't too busy laughing at dirty jokes and silly comic book movies. Yes. <laughs> the uh, uh, do you ever do you ever do you ever get struck with the idea that that maybe, and and maybe every generation thinks this, but like maybe like we won the time to be born lottery in that in that we were born at a time of of punch cards and early computers. And already halfway through our lives here, um, or two thirds in my case, no, uh, the uh, the uh, uh, you know we have iPhones and the internet and SpaceX, and it's like I don't know. I just feel like like I mean, what an amazing lucky draw that we got that uh, that 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 we get to see so much change, and no other no other generation in our stupid species. Has ever ever gotten to do that? That's amazing. Oh I, yeah, I'm certainly glad now, not earlier. But you know, the the generation after us that gets immortality and godlike powers <laughs> and <laughs> might feel a little bit differently. You know? Yeah, they're all like, oh, finally, we're the first generation that gets to go post physical. Poor yeah. old carbon-based granddaws. Can you no imagine what it was like to slave through life if I were only to be born a hundred years before? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I'll tell you what, man. It's uh, this is the part that breaks my heart is the idea of Kurzweil being right, but him dying just shy of that immortality mark. Oh, like that's, that's that's such a morbid way to think about it, though. Like that's so oh, well, weird. No, but it's also it's also his stated plan. Like that's why he uh, uh, he has stated that that this is why he's like really into life extension health extension calorie restriction vitamin mega dosing and stuff stuff that to be honest t- sounds to me uh ventures into the realm of of we'll say we'll generously say fringe science uh pseudoscience uh but the the reason he's doing it his stated goal is like you know my goal is to keep my body long enough that we could cross that singularity mark and oh i mean i hope he does yeah, no, so do I. I mean, I that's here's my thought about that. Why doesn't everybody believe that they're going to make it to the singularity? Like what does it cost you? Like why why would you rather go through life not thinking that you're going to live forever in some computer hive mind? Like there's just to me it's it's 
this idea like, oh, no, I'd rather make peace with the idea that I'm going to die. Screw it. Like, I'm not. I'm not going to make peace with the fact that I'm going to die. I'm going to say loud and proud that I'm going to live forever and everyone's going to have to deal with my voice until the end of time. And then if I'm wrong, but, but, it wouldn't be the first time. But, it, but it's already true, man. It's like everything, and, and I don't know if we've talked about this on Weird Things, but it's like everything that you say is is kind of the algorithm that is you you know you exist as sort of a, a set of patterns that are affected by stuff that happens to you from the outside but also you affect other things around you and all and every you know so much of what we've said for the last half decade is preserved and will be enjoyed and will affect the ideas of other people and and maybe maybe it's that that stupid poetic you know uh, metaphorical immortality but we are are immortal in that in that in that though our conversations and our ideas will affect the universe forever and and those ripples will exist can i tell you my plan which i'll finally reveal to you guys this has all been prelude so many episodes of weird things have all been leading up to this one moment go ahead no so uh brian and justin are the beneficiaries of occasional news articles things that i find amusing and sometimes some little commentary you know um I'm like, oh, this is interesting, blah, blah, blah. And so there's a little bit back and forth, but I send a lot of the stuff. I send the Brian and Justin are like the only two guys I do this to. And uh, uh, some of it I just wouldn't do for general public because I, I have I have some opinions I'm happy to share. I have other opinions that I don't want to share. Because, yeah. Because, um, you know, like I hate going on Facebook and having people put their politics in my face. Sure. Right. Because most of it's um, – but anyhow, my plan is this. You know Google News Alerts? Yes. Yeah. I'm aware. I'm going to create my own. I'm going to design my own algorithm with what I think is kind of cool and then all the random Andrew commentaries and stuff. So if I should die prematurely, you guys will be getting spontaneous. Get those emails. Yes. That's this, right. This, this cool. is great. This hey, is Justin, great. Check, check this out. You know, reminds me of this, you know. Oh, dude, it's, that's going to be great. That's going to be I'll amazing. tell you what. I, actually, I'm 100% down for this. Now, maybe, what you maybe need to do is you, doing it. <laughs> you you need to you need to uh, work it a little bit farther forward. You need to set the algorithm so that over the years it skews more and more to one extreme, either blue state or red state, and then increasingly starts picking out political cartoons, and then finally just you know figures out whoever the most hot you know hotly debated politician is, and then figures out something slightly racist to say about that politician. You're so just all you right. Be- you're just you're you're just designing the AI for your mom. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't thinking of my mom. I was thinking of a, of a, of an, of an older grandparent relative, but yeah. <laughs> uh, no, that's, that's amazing. That's that, that is, that is a beautiful thought, but to, to Brian, your, your, your thought is poetic. I, I, I absolutely am in love with the idea that what we are saying right now will, because of its digital nature, have a great likelihood to live in immortality. And it is already shaping the digital landscape. However, I'm throwing my hat over the wall. I'm not wearing a hat, but it's because it's already over the wall. I want <laughs> to be living in a world where my consciousness, when Justin Bieber IV is elected president of the United States, I want the, this voice to be saying to somebody, ah, he's an asshole like his great-grandfather. Like, I, I want that level of modern commentary, be it through some uh, you know, uh, medical advances for which we live forever or or some... Uh, you know, just uh, my, my 
voice is just like on a box somewhere that people can just click on on a website and there I am yammering. I, I, I want to live forever in that way. And- yeah, part of that presupposes that you'll continue to care about the same things, though. I, I suspect as you get older, I, but then again, I suspect I, I, I suspect that that part of the reason older people tune out or withdraw or go into their bubbles and only say the same thing is, is it's like we're all at a party and then a bunch of people start leaving the party and then you're like, and, and, but the party's still going, but it's like, you look around, you're like, man, I don't even know these assholes. And it's like all the good folks left. And now it's just me, you know, your music sucks at this party. Now I don't, I don't like this guy's face over here. And it's so it's like I think that's why they disengage is because I mean, the party starts to I, suck. I don't know about all elderly people. Um, I know that it will be it will be heartbreaking for me if the one element that has been constant in my life goes away as I get older, which is to be an attention whore and yell things for laughs. Like that's pretty much the the constant in my life, and I hope it is forever the constant in my life. Well, I guess I guess what I'm saying is like again, you're still at the party making jokes, but like the bubble of people is like, you know, hey man, earlier in this party everyone got my jokes. Now it's like, you know, a lot of those folks have left. Now it's just youth for jerks. Well, I, I, you know, I was just in Montana and I got to spend some time with with some people, some new people who are pretty awesome, and then some people who uh, I hadn't had a, I had I hadn't had a chance to uh, people I'd met before, and. One of my favorite people is a guy by the name of David Sands, and uh, and also Jack Corner, the uh, the paleontologist. Both of these guys are in their sixties, okay, and and Dave may even be a little bit older than that, okay. Both these guys are in their sixties, they're brilliant, brilliant scientists, and they're like hanging out with ten year old kids. They're as excited, enthusiastic about stuff as you can imagine. You know, Dave Sands is. You know, brilliant scientist who's a biologist has done a lot of pioneering research on, you know, different kinds of, you know, grains and, and, and stalks to sort of fight off disease, to help feed people, other cool stuff. Jack Horner, of course, brilliant paleontologist who in this point in his life is also thinking about trying to build a dinosaur. And that's who I want to be like. I want to be like these guys. These guys are their, – their physical age has nothing to do with the fact that they're so – curious and that is the key if you are curious about how the world works you will never get bored if you don't care if you're not curious then you shrivel up and die that's and that's no that's 100% true and in fact uh in their new book uh think like a freak the folks who uh, uh did the freakonomics podcast and book of the same name they talk about how one of the best things you could do is think like a kid be like a kid and they tell stories about uh, you know people who never notice the stock boys up and down on top of the aisles because they, they look forward. Meanwhile, the kids are doing the idiotic thing of looking up and questioning everything. And they, uh, they do a, a chapter with um, uh, Alex Stone, who wrote the book Fooling Houdini, talking about how much harder it is to do magic for children because children question all of their fundamental assumptions, whereas, whereas adults, uh, they don't. They, they take that shortcut. And, and in that regard, I think they're 100% right. Yeah, yeah. That's, 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 you know, stay young, stay foolish, you know, gentlemen, easy for me. Yes. <laughs> Wait a second. Oh, last name humor. Um, I was going to say we do picks, but I don't know if there's really 
I think we could pick. I mean, yeah, you know what? I, I will waste a pick before we talk about the only thing that all three of us want very badly to talk about. Uh, real quick, I do want to mention that I, I started force feeding the Martian to uh, Jason Murphy, and it was so much fun to go through that entire book again. We've talked about it before. Uh, I've never gotten more thank yous on Twitter for making a book recommendation than I did for that. It's uh, and, and it really stops me. What's that? Oh, yeah. Uh, allegedly, Rid- Ridley Scott and um, what's his name? Matt Damon uh, attached to the movie side. Wow. Uh, it's yeah. No, it's it's and it's great. It's great. Uh, there, there's a million reasons it's great. The audiobook is very well read. Not the least highly, of which is the recommend. fact that as soon as Brian was obsessed with it, I ran into the author at a reading and took a picture of me and him flicking Brian off. <laughs> It was really great. And I think one of the things that, and I found this out after the fact, but I found out that it was, it was an Andrew main style success story in that he was self-published and, and just out of, you know, doing it on his own. And from there built this incredible, you know, groundswell where it became, you know, mass published, which uh, by the way, I don't know how much I can and can't say about your deal, but I uh, definitely saw Rudy Kobe tweet out a advanced copy of angel killer mass market paperback which I was really, really excited about. Yeah. Uh, uh, just real quick, yeah. No, Martian slated for November of next year. What? So they're yes. already shooting, shooting? They're, I mean, they're they're confident they can turn this thing around. But, uh, uh, yeah, no. Uh, but, yeah, my thing is yeah, September 23rd is when my book comes out. Um, you, can, you can pre-order now if you want to. Uh, no, no, then definitely do so because uh, as we heard from our friend Scott Sigler, pre-orders are gold. Like if you want to make something hit number one on Amazon, pre-ordering right now will it's it's basically you know we've gamed iTunes systems or whatever before. Pre-ordering is gaming that system essentially on Amazon. I'm gonna go there right now uh, and type in Andrew Main, Andrew. Main. So, so really, you preload the shotgun, and then the day of release, it fires, and basically, however, however much buckshot you get in there is is all the kick you get, right? Well, that's, yes. To embrace your violent analogy. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that's uh, that's that that's the big that's the big thing. That's why everybody does uh, whatever they can to make sure that everybody buys kind of at the same time. It's what we. You want done. the paperback or the Kindle edition? What are you pushing us on? I want you to get whatever edition that you want to get. All right. That's a paperback and a Kindle coming up. Do ebook sales count for the New York Times bestseller list? Uh, they count for something. I just, no, I just, that, I'm going to order say the paper. I'm the ordering the paperback right now. I don't, I don't want to take – I'm ordering both. I already read the book. I read the book like a year and a half ago. I don't care. I'm buying four <laughs> copies. Doing it right yeah, now. No, this, this is a, this is a fun exciting. segment we like to do on the show called Everybody Buys Andrew's Book at Once. So you guys go ahead and follow along with us and go to Amazon.com, <laughs> search for Andrew Maine, uh, Angel Killer, and you'll be able to download – or sorry, well, you'll be able to buy the, the Kindle edition, but uh, I'm going to buy, the, I'm gonna buy the, the paperback. That's what comes out on, on, uh, in September 23rd. Well, plus, I mean, yeah, I mean, and, and, you know, ebooks, whatever. Wow, dude, four and a half stars, 228 customer reviews. I'm so stoked about this. That's awesome. Uh, and September 23rd, hopefully, uh, we'll launch with the, with the audio book. I don't know if, if you have any updates yeah, on dude, that. Yeah, dude, who, who read the audio book? Uh, I, well, HarperCollins Audio produced it. I don't know who they finally settled on for that. How exciting, um, man. 
Publishers Weekly, by the way, called this book delightful. That's amazing. Dude. I'm so excited. And those are publishers that talk about stuff <laughs> weekly. Like, they know what the hell's going on. No, but no, but in all seriousness, Publishers Weekly is a huge industry trade. And to get a positive review from there is, is akin to, uh, you know, Hollywood Reporter or Variety or something like that kind of saying that a, a movie is going to be not only good but, but successful. It, it's huge inside the industry. Uh, and, and this comes out when, when, when again? September 23rd. All right, so we got time to book you on Night Attack and get everything happening. Oh yeah, no, we're gonna, we're gonna make sure that this. But uh, yes, uh, Angel Killer and The Martian are my picks. I don't know. Did you guys see anything worth a damn that we might want to talk about? <laughs> no. Uh, I get a I get a call from a friend of mine. She's an actress, and she gets invited to uh, like screen. She went to USC and she's in SAG, and she gets invited to these screenings. And she says, "Do you want to go to an advanced screening of a movie? Uh, we can go see it like Tuesday." Right. I'm like, uh, sure. Yes. And it was the advanced screening of Guardians of the Galaxy with. On the schedule was James Gunn and Kevin Feige to talk afterwards. Oh, shoot. Okay, so I go. James Gunn bit under the gun from all the press tour, had the flu, couldn't do it. But Kevin Feige, the guy who's one of the masterminds of the Marvel Universe, was there, and he answered questions afterwards there. So I got to see it in a really, really awesome experience and get to see it in 3D. And then I went yesterday to go see it in 2D, like God intended. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, that was that – was, so that, that's my backdrop for it, was going to see it like that. So wait, the first time you saw it was in 3D, and then you went and watched it in 2D. Mm-hmm. Uh, I – Saw it last night in uh, in IMAX 3D. It's the first time I think it's the first time that I paid like twenty bucks and saw an IMAX 3D movie. Uh, I I really adored the presentation. I thought that the IMAX added. I thought the 3D added. I and it's like uh, I'm gonna go see it again in 2D next week to take Bonnie when I'm back home. Uh, but uh, man, I liked that movie a lot. Uh, so I saw it. In IMAX 3D, then I saw it in 2D. Not because this is uh, that's what everybody wants to hear when when uh, they're listening to a discussion about Guardians of the Galaxy is to hear us to you know debate the merits of uh, the various uh, screen oh, the projections. Uh, I the best compliment I can give to 3D is that if you see it on in the right presentation, it doesn't take away. Um, really. That for me, yeah, I, I like having. I saw it in 3D, and I remember watching it in IMAX 3D and being like, "Wow, this looks amazing!" I don't know how much it is because this digital projection looks amazing and it's huge, right. and the audio is like rattling me out of my seat. Uh, but then I saw it in 2D, and thinking back, I can't think of a single moment in which I was like, "Oh my god, this was so much better in 3D compared to compared to 2D." All that's that great being to, said, that's awesome, awesome. To- here um uh, look i i i know i know we don't have forever so i'm just going to go straight to my favorite thing about it which is what a triumph rocket was as a character i believed the cartoon raccoon man and he had range and depth and beneath his sarcasm and genius was a loneliness and an agony i believed you know, they, they nailed a, a, sarco- a sarcastic mocking laugh. They nailed his racking sobs when he loses his Chewbacca. Uh, I, I can't say enough about that character. And it's like when I go back 
all I'm going to think the entire time until uh, until he shows up again is like, I mean, when do they get back to the rocket stuff? That was so great. Um, I go ahead. I, I, a cartoon. <laughs> I just watched a movie before where they found some really amazingly talented chimpanzees, and they were fantastic. And I'm convinced that they found some really talented. Well, and, and that's that. That was the question I asked on Twitter. Which which is the greater accomplishment uh, of character development with a computer generated character, Caesar from Planet? And a, a, a rocket from Guardians of the Galaxy, and um, I, and even now I'm getting responses. People uh, have good cases for both. Some people say, "Well, we have a frame of reference for chimpanzees, so as a result, it's more impressive that they made it look so real." We don't have a frame of reference for a talking, walking raccoon or whatever. Uh, but other people are saying that that you know the raccoon, you know, rocket had a greater depth, a greater range, a Why greater arc. You, and you believe them? Brian? Why must you divide them? I, I I don't know because I'm I'm fascinated with that. But anyway, I, I love the movie from beginning what, to what end. What an amazing summer where the best characters we saw were a wonderful combination of computer technology and fantastic performances by actors, which is maybe what our future is about—the combination of what we're going to be like with you know AI. Just bring it back there for a moment. <laughs> no, I, I I think you're right because like uh, it, it was significant. That on on apes, you know, when when the credits came up, Andy Circus got got. I don't, I have no idea what he looks like, but I know his reputation for his work, and he's amazing. And uh, uh, he's uh, it's it's a bald, very 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 skinny, very 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 skinny, big big guys like sharp teeth. Gollum, thinking of Gollum. Yeah, that's that's uh, that was yeah, Gollum. That was him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, where where do we even begin to talk about this movie? I, I'm going to let you take point on this, man. I liked it. <laughs> it's a good start. So I, I will I will I'll weigh on this. And so the the going into this, I can't remember a Marvel movie that had this much hyper buzz about it, this much enthusiastic response. Remember, like a year ago or so, when we first heard about Guardians of the Galaxy. You know, there's a, a WTF moment from a lot of people. We're all going, if this works for Marvel, this is brilliant. If it yeah. doesn't, it'll be, why did you do this? And so there was that there was that that skepticism, you know, myself included, like and and I like James Gunn. I'm a James Gunn, I'm a fan of the way he thinks, the way he does. Uh uh mutual friends, never met him, saw him once, almost said hello, didn't say it, checking it out. Uh, my loss, uh, not his. Uh, but uh, you know, like it's one of those things. You go, man, the the elements are there. It's it's space opera. You gotta. I think that guys who do horror and comedy are some of the best directors in the world because they tend to be the smartest directors. You know, to get a really good scare, a really good laugh takes a lot. So you know, it's like, man, that the ingredients are there, but it's not. It doesn't have that built-in, you know, major Marvel property kind of thing. And guess yeah. what? Well, well, and, 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 and uh, well, wait. Yeah, no, I, I, you're you're 100 right. But I guess that's one of the things I adored about it was that you know I'm like, oh, well, is it as good as, you know, the Avengers? And it's like the Avengers had such an unfair advantage. The Avengers was the finishing move on a 15 year con game they were pulling, you know, with character development and laying out the threads and bringing it all together. Whereas the fact that that instantly uh, I could fall in love with all five characters because they're all different and I understand their motivations and I believe them and they all have their flaws, um, 
and 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 I was I was shocked at how much heart there was in the movie. I didn't I was not prepared for that, you know. Oh yeah, it is it is a uh, I don't know if we want to get into spoiler territory, but well, that, uh, that, that, um, that to me is is the big the big difference is is that this is the first movie since Iron Man in which your main character is a funny guy and it's not funny things happening to a character that's likable, uh, which has tended to be kind of how the Marvel superheroes have operated outside of Tony Stark. And, and also that, I mean, that first, you know, what, two and a half minutes, man, that's, that's, that's up territory, <laughs> yeah. baby. I was choking up. I, I you know, yep. I saw it t- two times and both times I'm like, kind of like, it's fine. It's coming from me. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I, I guess, I guess, since we don't don't want to really spoil, uh, if you're on the fence, do yourself a favor and see it before anything becomes a cliche. Before people start overquoting some of the best lines, and and I don't even know what they are yet, but uh, at some point, you know, there's going to be some joke that comes out. Uh, yeah. Well, the script's great. Uh, a lot of people are talking about the fact this is the first uh, Marvel movie that uh, was written and then, I guess, uh, co-written by James Gunn, but originally written by a woman. And so uh, for everybody yeah. who uh, cares about that kind of stuff, that's really rad. Uh, I will say this is Marvel will, by the end of this summer, granted, a down summer, right, in, in box office movies, uh, for those of you who care about it, they will have... Marvel will have two out of the top five. Disney will have three out of the top five. And that's the year before they release Avengers 2 and uh, a little film called Star Wars Episode 7. So uh, it's, it's a good time to be in that system. And, I'm, and, and I think if you are looking at Star Wars beginning to unfurl and you say, you know, that what they wanted to do is look at Marvel and say, how can we apply this blueprint to give you more entertainment uh, in this universe? You gotta be super excited because hell, if Marvel can do a guardians of the galaxy movie as good as we just got, then there's no reason why we can't get a good Boba Fett, a good, you know, uh, 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 X-wing squadron, Movie. Red There's five a million, or whatever, a million yeah. different ways that we can go. That's super great. And you know, Andrew, what was what was the uh, the email you sent us earlier about you know the world that we now live in? Just to put it in context for everybody. I don't want to spoil anything. Uh, oh no no, no of, of the 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 listicle oh, oh, the that other, I was talking the other, about the other one. Oh, yeah. I I sent an email. Uh, so it's one of these things. I said. It's it's you look at now where the discussion is like you go to variety or go to the rap and the rap.com had 11 more offbeat Marvel heroes who deserve their own movies where you get a discussion about the potential of Agents of Atlas, which is, you know, about as obscure. It wasn't even a Marvel property originally. It was Atlas Comics that was then acquired by Marvel. Cloak and Dagger talks about the Great Lakes. Oh, jeez. Wow. Cloak and and Dagger. Yeah, you know, I made a, I made a joke on Twitter because uh, uh, my producing partners for Don't Trust Andrew Maine, Joke and Biagio, they produced Scream Queens, and James Gunn was the, you know, the featured judge on that. And after that, he went on and he got to do uh, 
Guardians of the Galaxy. And I said, well, if this is true, then I guess apparently after my show, I get to go direct Power Pack. <laughs> um, <laughs> Which, by the way, uh, that, that that's totally like a joke. Like Power Pack was was the, the version of uh, – it was the Marvel comic they gave away for free in your kick cereal. Uh, but uh, but <laughs> I'll like tell you what, Ben. I wouldn't be surprised if they freaking nailed it this time. I remember there was like a Power Pack special edition warning about the dangers of child molestation. And like Peter Parker showed up to be all like, there's good touches and there's bad touches, kid. I I don't remember that one so much. But yeah, as a kid, I like Power Pack because like these kids, this, you know, it's kind of a Lensman, Lantern-esque sort of story. This, this big white horse comes down and Space Horse gives them powers and stuff and, you know, like this one kid can like, you know, he can turn off gravity, but he can't fly. But he figures if he goes and grabs all of his mom's aerosol cans, you know, or hairspray and stuff. Around. Yeah, sure. He can push himself like that. I'm like, that was awesome. So, I mean, turns out there was actually attempted a TV movie. If you type in Power Pack TV movie and look at it, you will be horrified. So, wow. just, just so everybody wraps their head around this, okay? Like... The basement of a comic book shop used to be the place where you would have arguments like what would make a better movie, Moon Knight, Cloak and Dagger, or Power Pack. And now it is the most reputable trades in the world that this is where we're at. Like Those nerds are now running Hollywood. Exactly. Okay. So, <laughs> and, the funny, uh, and the funny part, too, is we've talked about this, is you look at some of the coverage that you're getting now from – People who are like, oh, it's nerd stuff. Yeah, it's nerd stuff. Now this is the entertainment beat, and you have to cover it. And you see people talking about Star Wars and talking about these things that don't have a clue what they're doing, but now they're afraid of not being nerdy, afraid of being outed as like, oh, you just you just don't get it. You don't really read comics, do you? You know, it's like the so nerds good. are the bullies now. So good. Uh, and, and and actually, that's a that's a very insightful comment uh, because now that the nerds are in power, and you know the, the whole discussion about like fake geek girls or whatever. I mean, you're right. I think that that now that the nerds have ascended to, we, they have money, they have knowledge of the internet, and they have followers. You're right, man. Nerds are the bullies. We call you out on whether or not you actually read the comics. We have our clown prince, Weird Al, mock your music. We are the ones in control now. <laughs> Dude, I can't think of a better way to go out, man. That was I'm so glad that we got together and get weird again, man. Yeah. Should do this again sometime. Awesome. Well, Andrew, uh this there's usually a thing that happens at the end. Uh yeah. Go see Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, everybody <laughs> will agree with that, right? But there's normally there's there's one little it's a tag people wait for it. See it twice. <laughs> well, I'm going to do that. I'm, I'm the only one who has, and I feel bad. Yeah, Brian, we've all seen it twice. Well, I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to book a flight back to Austin just so I can take my wife and see it for a second time. Okay. How's that? How's it been, man? It's been weird.